Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce Murray. Welcome to my podcast, Going Long, where every week we spend some time with folks in and out of the world of sports, all of whom share one passion, their love for the world of sports. And the conversation I have today is with somebody who no doubt has that love. Why? Not only did he play in the National Football League for eight years, but he's also my broadcast partner on Thursdays on Sirius XM NFL Radio. His name is Bruce Gradkowski. And you may say to yourself, why would you want to talk to Bruce Gradkowski? You talk to him every Thursday. But the reality is I talk to Bruce every Thursday about what's going on in the National Football League today. And sprinkled in those conversations, you'll hear some of his background. But I don't think too many people know the story of this small kid from Western Pennsylvania that isn't really recruited, could have played basketball in college, but ends up in Toledo and somehow still clings to this dream of playing quarterback in the National Football League, a dream that's recognized when he's drafted in the sixth round by none other than John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you look back and you see guys like Tavares Jackson and Charlie Whitehurst and Brody Croyle, Brad Smith, Ingle Martin, Omar, all the quarterbacks that that were drafted before him who had shorter careers or lesser careers than Bruce Gradkowski did as a starter in a number of different places, as a guy that still has that great memory of being a Raider and traveling to Pittsburgh and beating the team with a great comeback that he grew up rooting for. So while I may talk to him every Thursday, if you hear me with him every Thursday, you may have a greater appreciation for the story that got Bruce Gradkowski into the National Football League as a player for eight years. Here now my conversation with Bruce Gradkowski. Bruce, we work together every week for three hours on NFL radio. Before we even get started, I would ask you, how uncomfortable are you as uncomfortable as I am being in this situation, having to spend more time together? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and you're cutting into my dinner time right now, and you know how I like to eat. So, and then another thing I'm thinking about, Bruce, no one's even going to listen to this anyways. It's your podcast. No one even knows who you are. I've got about <laughs> no one wants to listen to me. No, I, it's not like I'm some superstar celebrity. All the celebrities you've had on this. No, trust me. I've got friends and family that will be listening. So there's going to be at least <laughs> six or eight people that tune in for this. But it's impossible to work with you at any time during the day without it interfering with your eating. If, if our audience doesn't know this, basically, you, you live to eat and everything else just seems to interfere, including our radio show where during every break, you go silent. I'll tell people, when you do a radio show, especially when you're not in the same room, ordinarily there's camaraderie during the breaks. You know, you're chatting with your co-host, you're talking about things in life, not with Bruce. He just shuts off the microphone and goes to find the next snack, right? Well, it's that, or I'm just, I don't like who I'm building my camaraderie with. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're, you're, you're right. My wife gives me a hard time all... Every day, it's like, how many meals are you going to eat today? And I'm like, well, you know, like I'm heating up dinner at 10 o'clock at night. At, you know, we're about to watch a show, and she's like, really, you don't need those extra calories. And I'm like, am I gaining weight? Do I look like I gain weight? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, then just leave me alone. Like, I'm going to have this dinner and snack. <laughs> I want to know the same thing because I know you work out a lot, but you know that I work out and I have to, you know, watch what I eat to some extent. You don't seem to do that at all. You never have to worry about putting on weight. Well, it is, it is crazy because I usually, I, I played, when I played football, I was probably, my playing weight was about 215. Right. 
And then later on, that was when I was like with the Raiders in 2009 and I was playing a lot. And then when I got towards the end of my career with the Steelers, my weight was about 212, 210 to 212, then like 208. And now I'm probably 197 to 200. And I'm kind of disappointed because I'm like, dang, man, I'm just shriveling up. But I think it is because um, I, I do. I have to work out every day. And I think for the most part, we eat like pretty clean. Now, I know I've gone on a little spree here with my chocolate and like snacks. So I'm trying to cut that out. But for the most part, I'm not always indulging in like chips and processed food and stuff like that. And I kind of try to watch like I'm not crushing a bunch of carbs. I don't ever eat sandwiches and stuff like that with all the bread. I kind of think that has something to do with it. But that's at the end of the day, Bruce, the only reason I work out is so I can eat. Well, and, and, that, uh, and I, eat a I lot. was going to ask you that because, you know, you talk to a lot of football players, especially the big guys that play up front. And when they retire, they go one of two ways. They either get really heavy or they lose the weight right away. And the smart ones lose the weight right away and they get down. Some of them lose 100 pounds. You know, they're 6'4". Right, right. They don't want to be 330. But it seems like a burden. And I've, and, and I've talked to enough guys, Bruce, to know that there's two kinds of guys, those that have to work to keep weight on and those that have to work to keep the weight off. And it seems right. like you're neither that you're just, you know, it fits with the diet and the workout, but it seems like it's also a burden because if you miss working out, then you have to worry about what you eat. No, absolutely. And sometimes I do though, my weight might stay the same, but I can tell how I look or feel uh, if I'm like, if my weight's distributed differently, I should say, you know, like I do feel if I've been eating kind of crappy, I feel it more in my stomach or uh, things of that sort. And that, that's kind of what, where I was a few weeks ago where I'm like, I told my wife, I was like, man, I, I kind of should kind of watch a little bit now <laughs> and, and not just eat too much. And Bruce, it's a good point. Cause my brother Gino, he played seven years in the NFL yeah. and he was a, a center, a big offensive lineman. And he played at like 298, 300. And he was a guy at the end of his career, it was hard for him to keep weight on. And now he's about 225 being retired. Now he worked hard at taking that weight off, but at the end of his career, it was kind of tough him staying around 300 pounds. And he did go the other way where he wanted to slim down. It was easy on his knees and shoulders because of all the injuries he had. He retired in 2018. Was it 18? What yeah. Injury played? yeah, I think so. I was 16, and then I think he played two more years. So he, so I so think he lost 65 pounds in three years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that and he, he, start, he started slowly dropping where, you know, that year where you're kind of like, am I retired? Am I not? Should I, you know, some of us that aren't superstars like Drew Brees, and we can say, hey, I'm retired. I'm walking away. Uh, that teams would have us back anyway. No, that that's not always the case, you know? <laughs> and so some of us, you know, and my brother went through where he was kind of like, ah, do I still want to play? So he was trying to stay in shape in case the team called. And that's where he got down to like 265. And he was like, man, I just, I just can't keep this weight up on right now. You, you know, you talk about, you know, the difference between the superstar and the guys that has to worry about whether the team will want him back. I, I say this good naturedly. I mean, it defines your career. You know, you would not. Yeah. Rich Gannon used to use this term. He used to go silver spoon people. You know, the ones that were great <laughs> when they were in fourth grade and sixth grade. They were on the radar for every college by the time they were in eighth grade, playing big time college football, drafted high, turned out to be great pros. That wasn't your path to the National Football League. You were the 
classic success story of going to the small school, albeit living with a pretty good pro in his own right, and a guy that I think is going to join me on the podcast at some point, Lance Moore. But, you know, a sixth-round draft choice, a quarterback. Yeah. Fans always embrace those guys. They're always like, oh, I love this guy, Gradkowski, because it's the little engine that could. But I would imagine right. your whole career was spent worrying about if the job was going to be there next year. Well, I mean, that's a great point because, like, I'm, I'm proud of that, right? Like, because that is who I am. I remember growing up and all the time my mom would say, because I was always worried, Bruce, if I would get tall enough, right? Basketball was my sport. And I knew if I didn't reach six foot at least, I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't play football. And we'd go to the doctors. And, of course, the doctor would say, oh, he might reach six foot. He'll be like 5'10". And so that was like shooting down my hopes and dreams. And I remember my mom always telling me. So she's probably one that the, the only one that listened to this podcast, by the way, Bruce. Um, she always used to tell me, though, is it doesn't matter your size. It matters what's inside of you. And and I believe that, you know, because through my career, through high school, I wasn't heavily recruited. I had a couple of Division One offers for basketball and then one double A offers for football. You know, I committed to Eastern Kentucky. I was going to go there for football. And then Toledo called and they wanted me to walk on. And I said, you know what? I have a full ride at Eastern Kentucky. It's easier on my parents because I know at the time my parents can afford me to really send me to school. So I was going to take it. And then Toledo came to watch me play basketball, saw I was athletic and offered me a full ride for football. So that was my only Division One scholarship. And of course, at Toledo every year, they're bringing in transfers. They're bringing in recruits to try to, because they probably don't think I'm going to make it. And I remember as going into my redshirt sophomore season, I was competing for the starting job with a junior college transfer that was about 6'4", could really sling it. And I even had Lance Moore telling me, you know, who Lance Moore is my roommate at the time. Yep. He's like, Bruce, why do you think they brought him in? They brought him in to be the starter. And I'm like, you're my boy and you're telling me this. And he was just trying to keep it real. But I battled I, in that moment in time. I still think that's one of my biggest accomplishments because I really focused on what I can control in that moment and take it one step at a time. And that was I'll work him in winter conditioning. I'll play him in spring ball, you know, take care of summer workouts. You know, I'll play him during training camp. And when I did every step of the way like that, I was, I was named the starter. And I, then that's what gave me, gave me the opportunity to start three years at Toledo. Uh, so it was, I was very fortunate in that sense. So you, you talk about the underdog mentality or that chip on your shoulder. That, that was it, man. Like I go to restaurants now and people be like, oh man, you're a lot smaller than I thought. <laughs> and you know, I kind of take that as a compliment because I'm like, yeah, you, you better believe that because I, you know, I did it. You know, I found a way to get there when, you know, you don't have all the signs pointing in your direction, just like Drew Brees, man. I mean, he's he's not the biggest dude. I mean, he's shorter than me a little bit. And for the career he has had, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, you may want to grow hair. It'll make you look a little taller. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, going back to your mom who said it's not what you are, you know, it, it's what's inside. That, that's what all parents say. You're a parent now. Not true. <laughs> You're right. Not true. You got to be six one six two if you want to be a quarterback. You you grew up in Western Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, yeah. Home of Joe Montana. So what what is it about Western Pennsylvania? I mean, I, I even I growing up knew about Jim Kelly and Dan Marino and Joe Namath and Johnny Lujak. I mean, going back a long way, there are a number of other guys. Rich Gannon, by the way, Western Pennsylvania guy, technically. 
I guess. He's more of a, how would you, because he's more of a Philly. That's not Western. No, he's more Eastern, right? Yeah, he's, he's Eastern. Yeah, Philly. yeah. But, you know, wasn't Ron Paul, yeah, but, was Ron Paul is Western Pennsylvania? Um, I don't know. Joe Namath, Dan Marino. Dan Marino was my guy growing up. I mean, that's who I looked up to because his dad and my dad worked at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette together. Oh, did they really? So, yeah, they they were in the union at the time. And, you know, back then that was a great job, you know, being in the union for, you know, for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. My dad, you know, met my mom and, you know, they dated through high school. And but yeah, so I would I always looked up to Dan Marino. And I remember Dan Marino's dad would call my dad through the recruiting process going to college and say, hey, tell the kid just stay positive. Someone's going to grab him. Someone's going to grab him. And and, you know, Dan would send me signed pictures sometimes. And I'd never met Marino until. After my rookie year, I started 11 games for Tampa Bay. Had John Gruden cussing me out all season long. So finally, the season's over. I go to the Super Bowl in Miami, and my dad calls me. He's like, hey, Dan Marino's dad just called me. He said his kid's having a party, Super Bowl party, that you're on the list. So I go there, (laughs) and I see Marino for the first time. I'm like a kid in the candy store. Honestly, you would have thought I saw a hot supermodel celebrity and it was Dan Marino. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And he comes up to me talking like, oh, what's up, man? Yeah, our dads are boys. How you doing? Like talking to me like a buddy. And I'm like, this dude <laughs> is the best. Like he's got so much swag. Like it, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was pretty cool, though. How badly did you embarrass yourself? Were you like drooling? What, like you, there's no way I, you, there's no way you played it cool. <laughs> no, I probably tried, but I was probably cheesing too hard. And then Prey was trying to follow him around and everything, unsure like how to act. Uh, yeah, so it was kind of my first go around is, you know, after being a starting quarterback in the NFL for a year. And um, yeah, my buddy's like, dude, relax. It's Marino. He's one, he's like, he played in the league. You're in the league. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you said you had dreams and you, you thought height was going to get in the way of achieving those. But what were those dreams? Because, you know, I know that, that guys that play, anywhere still think they're good enough to be a pro it's just going to take time i have to mature but here you are in high school obviously a great athlete but you got a you got a scholarship to eastern kentucky and toledo it's not alabama wants you to walk on i mean what what what, tell me what the what, what did it mean how do you define those dreams was this to play college football and then ultimately work move out into the workforce or did you think well why can't i be a professional football player yeah the thing that's scary, Bruce, is there was nothing in my mind that told me I wasn't going to get there. Like, it's crazy now that, yeah, of course, I always said the right things, right? Oh, you got to have a backup plan. I have to get a good education and this and that. But honestly, it was in, I was in fourth grade and my fourth grade teacher told us as a class, write down on an index paper, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to play in the NFL. I wanted to play in the NFL. And she comes up to me, she's like, no, Bruce, really, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. And I remember clear to this day, and I saw her in church like, you know, a while back when I was playing, and and she was like, I still have that index card. And I was like, yeah, can I have it? You should sign <laughs> but, it now. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe it's worth a million bucks, like Tom Brady's cards or something. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just thought, you know, and then, you know, fast forward now, I'm in Toledo. Yeah, so my whole thing was to get to the NFL and, but in college, when I was competing for the job at Toledo, I mean, when I was a true freshman, my coach, my offense coordinator 
told me he was on the treadmill after this during training camp. He's riding the, the elliptical and he's like sweating. He's like, hey, come here. He's like, you don't work hard. You don't know what it takes to work hard. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I do. I lift. I run. I'm always in shape. And I didn't understand, Bruce, that working hard wasn't just physically. It was mentally. It was understanding the playbook, knowing what to do, because I wasn't grasping it as a young freshman at Toledo. And I learned a ton that year. And I learned a lot from Lance Moore, Bruce. I'll tell you that. Lance Moore was a a freshman at Toledo when I was. Lance would always be in his room studying. And I'm like, who's this little skinny dude always in his playbook? The guy knows where to line up on everything. He's doing everything right. And he's catching the football. Like he was the ideal person. If you said focus on what you could control, that was Lance. He knew exactly what to do. He lined up properly and he caught the football. And our coach was having him break the team down as a freshman. And I'm like, man, this dude is, he's awesome. And so when I did get drafted, I remember being in Gruden's playbook and I thought to myself, I'm going to be like Lance. But, you know, at the time at Toledo, when my coach told me I didn't work hard and, and all that, he was talking about understanding the offense. And from that moment on, I started taking home the practice script every day at Toledo and I would draw out every play on what everyone was supposed to do because in my mind, I was like, this is how I, I'm going to teach myself. This is how I learn. I got to just do the extra work. Well, were you one of those guys that in high school and you know, anybody that goes to play division one college football generally is this kind of person that was just so gifted athletically, so much better than everybody else that you didn't think, not that you didn't have to work hard physically, but that you didn't have to do the rest that I'm going to show up and I'm better than everybody. What's the big deal? Yeah, no, I mean, I knew, I mean, I was coming out of high school as like an all-state basketball player and uh, all-state football. Were you recruited and, you to know, basketball? I was recruited, yeah, I was, like uh, Richmond offered me. John Beeline was the head coach at the time. So And Richmond was a pretty good basketball program. Yeah, yeah, Richmond wanted me to play both. They, they wanted me to play football and basketball, but I knew if I went to Richmond, I'd probably just focus on basketball. But I also thought, I didn't, I was like, man, how far can I really go in basketball? You know, I basketball was my first love, and I was athletic. I could dribble the football and shoot, so I could do it both. I was a point guard and shooting guard, but I'm only six one, right? So it was kind of like, ah. Eh. And um, but yeah, so at Toledo, like Lance Moore and I and our buddies, we play intramurals every year and just whoop up on everyone. And but as far as gifted, you know, on the football field, I knew I had to put the work in. I knew I had enough ability. Um, and especially athletically when my body, when I started to develop in college and I got stronger and I was 206 pounds from 185, 175 in high school, and I was strong and I'm leg pressing 600 pounds. I'm bench pressing 225, like 19 times. Now all of a sudden I'm like, is this little DB going to come up and try to tackle me? I'm going to put my shoulder down. And so I kind of learned like I'm physically tough and gifted. I don't have the biggest arm. So I have to be smart. I have to know where to go with the football and I got to be accurate. And I try to really get better at that. I'd go out on the practice field and just practice my footwork and drops without receivers around because I wanted my footwork to come second nature to where when when you're on the field, you're not thinking about it and it just happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm always shocked at the mindset that guys like you have that think even at Toledo, not being recruited, that it's still going to end up in the national football league. And it does. I mean, I've got a son that, you know, he plays hockey and he says, I want to be a professional hockey player. And I don't discourage that. But in my mind, I'm thinking, 
well, not too many people get to do that. But in his right. mind, even at this age, you know, usually it's 12 year olds, 10 year olds. And then they go, yeah, I get it. I'm not going to do that. But you still cling to that notion. And I guess you have to embrace it. And if you had ended that way, but you know, the draft rolls around and, and, you know, you're not going to be a first round pick. You're not going to be a second round pick. I'd love to know what you're thinking leading up to that moment in time about that dream. Did you think that there was going yeah. to be a team that calls your name? I did because sometimes Bruce, I have more confidence in myself than pray other people do. Yeah. So I'm I thinking, that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I have no hair. You have that beautiful <laughs> flowing hair. And, uh, but it was coming out of Toledo that I went back to focus on one step at a time. And it was the East-West Shrine game. I felt like I balled out there. It was the combine. I ran a 4.5940, tested good, felt like I threw good. Um, this is the year Vince Young, Matt Liner, Jay Cutler came out, Kellen Clemens, Tavares Jackson, and um, and then my pro day. And I felt like everything went good. So the only team I met with at the combine was Andy Reid and the Eagle. So going into the draft, yeah, I thought, you know, my agent was like, you're probably going to be like a fifth, sixth rounder, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Okay. And, but in my mind, I was like, that means third round. <laughs> <laughs> what was, so I don't even remember this was the draft in 2006. Was that three days that they gone to three days yet? No, I, I think, um, no, because I think the first three rounds were Friday night, okay. right? It was like, and then and then the next day, yeah, the next day was the rest of them all Saturday. Okay. So the first, th first three rounds are the first night. And I remember I was about nine or 10th on Mal, Mal, Mal Kuyper's board of quarterback. So when I saw like, you know, of course, Matt Liner, Vince Young, Jay Cutler, they all go off in the first round. I see Tavares Jackson and Kellen Clemens get picked in the second round. And I'm like, ooh. I'm like, this is open game. I mean, who knows? Because I played with Tavares Jackson at the East-West Shrine game. You know, I saw Kellen Clemens at, at the Combine, and I thought he had good feet. I liked his release, so I was a fan. I thought he was a good player. And then uh, then the third round goes by, and Charlie Whitehurst gets picked. Brody Croyle from Alabama. Like, I, So I remember these guys get picked up, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm really like, if Mel Kuyper's right, which – you know, Mel's never right, is he? And <laughs> not often, <laughs> but no, he does a good job. But I was nine or 10. So I'm like, I could go at any minute. Well, then the third round ends. And I remember sitting on my mom's porch and I was thinking to myself, okay, that's not bad. All those QBs went, I should be sometime early tomorrow morning. Right. And I remember the, the next morning, the Eagles trade up in the fourth round. And I'm like, this is it. They have two picks in the fourth. This is it. This is my pick. Nothing happened. Are you watching this on television? Yeah, I'm watching this. With, with, and with and your I only had dad. It was only it was only with my cousin Ralph. I didn't want anyone else around me, just because I didn't I didn't want to celebrate until it happened. Right. You know, I just I didn't want to like have a party and so. But you know, my mom's probably still at the house. The rest of my family, aunts, uncles, cousins, they're just up the street at my aunt's house. You know, like we all live right next to each other, and. Uh, so the fourth, you know, fourth round goes by and the steel. I remember the Steelers told my agent, if Bruce is still around with our second, fourth round pick, we'll probably choose him. Well, Steelers go around. They don't pick me. I hear my mom dropping F-bombs in the kitchen. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, it's crazy at this point. So then the fifth round comes by. The Steelers choose Omar Jacobs out of Bowling Green. Yeah. 
And, and then the six rounds come by, and I remember the Cincinnati Bengals were on the clock. And at this point, I said, Mom, I'm going upstairs. I was just – I was so fired up, Bruce. I, I really couldn't believe it. And Angry? I go – yeah, like I'm just, just like, man, are you kidding me? I'm better than these guys that are getting picked. Right. And I go up to my room, and the Bengals are on the clock. And at the time, I'm thinking, I don't want to live in Cincinnati. You know, and Kenny Zampezi, who's my QB coach in Cincinnati when I played there, he came to work me out at Toledo. So we, I was like, man, I'm not going to go to the Bengals. So I go upstairs. Well, the Bengals draft, I forget who, but it was a QB. And then all of a sudden, my mom comes running up the steps. And she's like, shake it. And she's like, it's Tampa Bay. And she's handing me the phone and I get on the phone and uh, it was, I get on the phone and it was John Gruden. He goes, Bruce, we don't care what pick this is. This is a great pick for us. I said, coach, just get me to fucking Tampa. And I was so fired up at that moment. You said that to John Gruden. (laughs) I'm dead serious. And, and I, I didn't know Gruden. I didn't know his personality. And now that I think about it, he probably loved that, you know, But at the time, Bruce, I was just, it was per- probably perfect for me because I was so fired up that I just wanted to go and compete. I didn't want to celebrate getting drafted. I just wanted to get there. And who knows, if I got, went in the second, third round, I probably would have thought I accomplished my dream and that was it. Right. So when I got drafted in the sixth round, I really felt like, uh, felt like that's it. This is game time. Like, this is what I got picked for. It doesn't matter. Like, just get me to Tampa. And, you know, I mean, the next weekend was mini camp and stuff. So I was just so fired up. And of course, too, I was thankful. And, and after it, it felt like a weight off my shoulders, like, okay, at least I know where I'm going. I did get drafted. And now looking back, I'm super thankful for the moment, for the time, for being drafted. I mean, I know how hard it is to evaluate guys as we try to do now. And so I'm thankful Gruden gave me that opportunity because I learned so much from him my first two years, and it was a blessing. Well, was that a cell phone that he called on or a cordless uh, home phone? It was a home phone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I – I, I might have just had a cell phone at that time, but, yeah, it was, it was my mom's home phone, and it was cordless. She's running up the steps with it. And I remember just being so jacked up and, and – you know, and, and from that moment on, I mean, I had, you know, I remember exactly the mindset I had in different opportunities, whether it's Toledo compete for the starting job, getting drafted to Tampa in my time with the Raiders. In those three times, I really wanted it more than anything. And I got that opportunity. Um, and with John Gruden, man, it was it was fun because we had a lot of meetings together uh, over the years. And you became a starter as a rookie, which we'll talk about in a second. But I'm always amazed. You know, when when we talk about this, when guys are drafted and look, we ask guys on our show about, you know, the uncertainty of where you're going to go. We kind of forget you're 22 years old or 21 years old. I don't know how old you were when you were drafted. You're going to go to Tampa. And, you know, how do you find an apartment? Where do you, how do you know where you're going to live? How do you know how you're going to shop? I mean, for all this right. time, you've been either taken care of by mom or you've been at training tables in college. And now you're, right. you're asked to be an adult. So how do you get to Tampa and get settled in to get to work? Well, Toledo at the time, we didn't have a lot of money. So we didn't have all these extravagant training tables. <laughs> so we were making a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, but Bruce, it's funny, you know, before the draft, I was fortunate to sign, you know, cards. I had to sign uh, 3,000 cards. 
And I remember I got paid 18 grand for doing that. 3,000, I thought you I, signed 3,000 cards for 18 grand? Yeah, yeah. Wow, And that's a good deal for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, re, I remember thinking, I was like, wow, I'm rich. I don't need any more money. <laughs> and, and I remember before the draft happened, my dad's friend had a car, this old Buick. And my dad always liked that car. And I said, and so I went to his buddy and I bought it off him. And my agent was like, and I talked to my agent. He's like, look, just, you can do what you want. Just know if you don't get drafted, you might get a $10,000 signing bonus or nothing. So if you're fine with the money you have, and I was like, I'm good with that. My parents did a ton for me. I want to do this for my dad. It was like How much an $8,000 car, $8, just a used car. Yeah. And, um, so I remember getting it, getting that form before the draft. And then I remember getting drafted and getting a signing bonus of 87,000. And I remember getting it after, and it was after, after, you know, getting the, this, the check and it was 49,000. I was like, well, this is supposed to be 87 grand. And my dad's like, yep. Welcome to paying taxes, my son. <laughs> it, it is one of the rude awakenings that a lot of guys that go into the league have because they sign a deal for $1 million and the check says, well, 500 and whatever it is. And they're like, what happened to the rest? They're shocked that they actually have to pay taxes. Insane. Shocked. Yeah. It's, it's insane when you see your check cut in half. And even at that moment, Bruce, I got 50 grand in, in the bank account. I'm good. I feel like I'm rich. And, you know, back to your question about where do you live? And they always have guys like player development guys that help you on the team. And, and for the first, you know, six months or so, when you get there for OTAs, you're staying in a hotel. So they're paying for that. So you're put up in a hotel and you have time to figure this out. Because honestly, Bruce, you don't know if you're going to make the team or not. You know, like trying out for the NFL is like the longest job interview process in the world. It's basically a six-month interview process from OTAs to mini camp to training camp. And then finally in September, you find out. So you're going April, May, June, July, August, five months until you know if you have a job or not. And then if you know you have a job, now you're scrambling. Oh, I'm going to live in that apartment that I saw down in Harbor Island. And that's kind of how it worked out. You know, I remember doing the podcast with Kevin Green, who was uh, drafted in the fifth round. And he said, <laughs> I thought I was getting cut every time I showed up. You know, I would do something. I'd get singled out. I thought I was going to have a job. Of course, he went on to have a Hall of Fame career. So when you're drafted right. in the sixth round, there is no guarantee. And yet you make the team. Uh, I'd love to know, you know, we see it in the movies, you know, with uh, report to the coach's office, bring your playbook. Uh, 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 you know, you're around guys that I'm sure were getting cut. What was the process your rookie season? Mm -hmm. I mean, the process, it was crazy because Honestly, Bruce, I didn't know what to expect, right? I mean, I, I see in the quarterback room at the time, we had Chris Sims, we had Tim Rattay, Luke McCown, and myself. So four of us. During OTAs, Luke McCown tore his ACL. So now it's Chris Sims, myself, and Tim Rattay. And I don't know that they keep three. I don't know that they keep two. I, I don't know. And usually, you know, in 06, a lot of teams kept three quarterbacks. But they brought in another, you know, veteran during training camp and stuff like that. But you don't know. And I'm honestly like that mindset of keeping your head down, just do your job, handle today. Don't worry about tomorrow, handle today. And that's how I approached it. So I had a really good OTAs. I had a really good training camp. And then my first preseason game, I threw like two touchdowns. And 
So the offense was just perfect for me. And everything was just clicking. I loved the footwork and timing aspect of it. Paul Hackett was my QB coach. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, his son was just a, uh, a quality control guy at the time, who's the you know offense coordinator for the Packers now. And I remember my first touchdown pass in the preseason game. We're running like a shallow cross concept, right? And I'm supposed to read the shallow to the spot route over the ball. And we have a post, though, on the left side. And we're on like the 12-yard line. And I line up and I'm like, dude, the safety's not even over there. Who's going to even cover this post? And Bruce, I'm not saying I know the coverage. I'm just naturally have a feel. And I'm like, there's no one in that vicinity. How can they cover this? Anyways, they're bringing a cover zero blitz on me. I take a quick five steps under center, hit my back foot, and just sling that post. Boom, touchdown. I get blasted upside the chin, and I'm so excited. It was my first touchdown pass. I'm celebrating. I go to the sideline. Gruden's high-fiving me, slapping me on the helmet. This, that read isn't in our progression, Bruce. I just kind of just <laughs> – so, so I'm on the sideline. I take my helmet off, and there's blood all in my chin strap. And I'm like, what is this? And the trainers come up, and they're, I still have a scar on my chin. I got stitches after the game. I was so fired up with all the adrenaline. I had no clue. I busted my chin open and they start stitching me up. Yeah. So I come out and my wife, Miranda, she was at the game and I come out with a big bandage on my chin and she's kind of crying like, oh my gosh, this is the NFL. Were you you husband and wife at the time? Were you married that young? No, we were just dating. You were dating. Yes. She's just my little sweetheart. That was like, you know, man, this guy's a stud. <laughs> this is when she was actually still worried about you because you weren't married yet. Now, now exactly. has changed. But when did you know you were on the team? I mean, did they call you in and go, you made the team? This is not college or high school. How did you know you were on the Buccaneers? So I remember the first two preseason games, I played really well. I think I threw two touchdowns in each game. So I had like four touchdown passes in the preseason, heading into the third preseason game. Bruce, I was honestly, I was so dumb. I didn't know how well I was playing, you know, because I came from Toledo. I broke every school record there was. Like, so to me, success wasn't the stats and the numbers and the touchdown passes. It was winning football games. Right. So if I didn't feel like we were winning, I felt like I was doing crap or something like that. So going into the third preseason game, uh, Gruden – started me I think it was and you know you're not starting me but I came in next right after the starter you know how the third preseason game especially back in the day the starters play up through the first half right. into the third quarter right so Gruden put me in there with the starters in the second quarter or even in the end of the first quarter so I got to experience it, it was a little quicker out there it was a little the game was fast and I probably got beat up a little bit made some mistakes and then I think I played the fourth preseason game against the Texans and uh, played well again. So, yeah, I, I really wasn't sure. But I knew, you know, I mean, you know how media is and fans. They love to hype up the the, the underdog. The, oh, my gosh, look at this six. So, even I do a Tampa show every week, a Tampa hit, with JT, JP the Brick. And he's like, you, you know, he calls me the great Gradkowski. Because in that preseason, there's articles out talking about the great Gradkowski. And I'm like, I had no idea. You know, like, I was just executing the offense. so. I guess I was playing well where, but they don't, yeah, they don't come and pat you on the back and say, Hey, you made the team. It's kind of like you're sitting there looking at your phone. Like, am I going to get the call? You know, Saturday passes, you don't get a call. 
Sunday passes, you don't get a call and you're like, okay, I think I got to be at practice tomorrow at eight. Like, and you're like, this is good. And you kind of hear rumblings maybe from teammates, but it's not ever really clear that you're, you're on the team and you made it. And did you go through that every year? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I exploded on the scene in Tampa, you know, start 11 games. That was the year Chris Sims ruptured his spleen. Yeah, that was my, my first, Oh, it was awful. I mean, I remember we're playing the Carolina Panthers and Sims was taking some hits and he comes to the sideline and I was named the backup that year. So I'm backing up Chris and he comes to the sideline and he's looking like white as a ghost. And he's like, kind of talking like this. And I was like, man, you good. He's like, ah, I don't know, man. And I was like, that might be your ribs. I said, you should just get that shit shot up. That's what I did at Toledo. <laughs> good thing he didn't listen to Dr. Bruce here because it was his spleen. And so after the game, all of a sudden he's not in the locker room and they rush him to the hospital. So I'm, I remember this clear as day. I'm walking after the game, my dad and I go to dinner to Jay Alexander's in Tampa. I'm walking into the restaurant and Gruden calls me. He goes, hey, Sims is going to be out for a while. You're our starter. And I was like, my heart sunk. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it, this was moving so fast, Bruce. Like You're playing at Toledo 12 months ago. And now, yeah, you're, now you're going to be yeah. starting for a Super Bowl winning coach in John Gruden in Tampa Bay. 12 months ago, you were at Toledo what, what, what are you guys, the Rockets, the Mudhead? <laughs> yeah. What's your name again? Come on, it's not Tulane, man. Yeah, it's the Toledo Rockets. <laughs> uh, 12 months ago, you were a Toledo Rocket, and now you're going to be starting in the National Football League. Yeah. Yeah, It man, it, it went fast. And, Bruce, like, to, to be honest, like, I wasn't super – I don't want to say – like, I kept my head down and just worked. Like, when I was at Toledo, when I was at Tampa. So I didn't really read press clippings or know – John Gruden is this, you know, Chucky and he's this, you know, celebrity status guy. Like, I mean, I, I noticed being around him and how awesome he was such a good teacher, but I was just taking it as it came. So we had two weeks to prepare and we're playing the saints. My first start in the Superdome and this drew Brees just got there. Uh, the hype around him and Sean Payton. So we go to the Superdome and our offense up until this point was kind of sputtering around. We weren't really playing very well. And Chris Sims will tell you that. We just kind of – it wasn't just clicking for us. And we had two weeks to prepare for the Saints. We go right down the field, opening drive, and I throw a bench route, an 18, 20-yard out route to Joey Galloway for a touchdown. Boom, just like that. We go to the sideline. The team's lifted up. The energy's there. We're freaking moving. I mean – we're going up and down the field, like offensively, we're playing well. I threw two touchdowns, no interceptions, 230 yards passing. Like it was a clean game. And like I said, to me though, it anyway, so so the game's going back and forth. We have like a third down and three, and we call this mesh route. I hit Ike Hilliard down to the two-yard line. We're down by like three points in the fourth quarter. Well, Joey Galloway gets called for a pick. So it gets called back. Fourth down, we go for it. We don't get it. That was a game Reggie Bush returned a punt. So Reggie Bush, my buddy, just kind of screwed my first uh, start. <laughs> so, Bruce, this is this is when the NFL kind of hit me, right? So I'm on the bus. I'm devastated after this game because in my mind, the year before, remember, this is Ben as a rookie, Big Ben, won all those games in a row. I always visualized that would be me, right? Leading up to the NFL, that always – I was like, if I get my chance, that's me. 
all of a sudden I get named the starter. First thing is my mind is, oh my gosh, this is working out how I thought. Yeah. I'm going to go in and we're going to get on a roll. So after that game, I was so devastated because I felt like that was the Super Bowl and we lost. And we're on the bus ride. And, you know, now I understand Gruden's mindset, the team, because it's such a long season that when you see promise, you're like, cool, we're on the right path. But to me, it was like, no, we lost. And I remember being on the bus and Gruden called me up into his seat. He's like, hey, man, good stuff today. You know, and he gave me some words, like just, just kind of encouragement of like good stuff out there. And I remember being on the plane riding back and I was, like I said, I was devastated. We lost and my felt like my whole world's crashing down. And I remember the guys on the plane were standing up, playing cards, laughing, having a good time, eating snacks. And I was like, does no one else care? We just lost. And it just really hit me though, that it was a business, right? Like you got to move on to the next week. You got to get over it. And I kind of learned that fast because I took it so heavy on myself that we lost that game. And, you know, we, I think we won the next few and we had some good moments, but then I didn't, I wasn't playing the best, you know, it kind of, I started overthinking things. I tried to be perfect and I wasn't just reacting playing football. And that's why I look at all these young quarterbacks out there. It's not about ability. It's almost getting in your own way, right? Sometimes you try to see too much. You try to do too much. And that's when these guys make mistakes because I lived it, right? I was on fire as a rookie and I got my own way. I overthought things. I tried to be perfect. I tried to get to the perfect audible instead of just reacting and playing the game I love. And it just caught up. And then we kind of, I got benched, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, and then the next year they brought in Jeff Garcia. I backed him up. And then going into my third year, I got released. And went to the Rams for training camp. So, you know, listen, by any measure, you play in the National Football League for nine years, which is, I think is how long you were there. Uh, it's a good career. But you started 11 games as a rookie, and that was the most games you'd ever too. start in, in your career for any team. So, mm -hmm. you know, you had that vision of grandeur when you were in high school. I'm going to make it to the NFL. I'm at Toledo. I'm going to make it to the NFL. I'm going to get drafted in the third round. You go in the sixth, but you make it to the NFL. And then you start those 11 games. Did, did you think you were going to be a starting quarterback for a decade in the NFL? And if you did, how hard is it to deal with the role that ultimately became yours moving forward? Right. You know, that's a good question because that's where I made the mistake of my goal was so strong to get to the NFL that when I did get there and I started 11 games as a rookie, it was almost like I proved to myself I could do it. Right now, to the fans, to the media, to the coaches, to the Hall of Fame, to the all the other stuff that comes with playing in the NFL, the Pro Bowls, the Super Bowls. I probably never thought into all that until I got there, right? And then, so it took me a little while because then I bounced around. I went to the Rams for training camp. Mark Bulger, Trent Green, Brock Berlin, and myself competing. They cut me after training camp. I have Scott Linehan, the head coach at the time, bring me in his office. They make all the final cuts, but there's four quarterbacks still on the roster. Linehan sits me down. He goes, hey, he goes, listen, you got it. You got it. You know how they say that it factor? You got what it takes. But we're going to have to release you. But, but, and I'm like, by the way, before you – let me just interrupt yeah. you for a second. You played two years in Tampa. <laughs> so were you cut by them after the second year? Because that, that's got to be the first time in your life anybody said, we don't want you anymore. So – yeah. What was it like? How, how did you get released by Tampa? And what was that emotional moment like? 
Yeah. I mean, it, it was crazy because, you know, after my rookie year, through my rookie year, everyone's like, buy a, buy a place here. This is your home. Buy a spot. I'm, I'm having, you know, some of our tight ends ask me, man, you think they're going to renegotiate your contract after this year? Bruce, I'm not even thinking of all that. I'm thinking about football, right? I'm not thinking about the dollars. I'm not, I'm playing a game I love. And um, so, yeah, so then <clears throat> when they bring in Jeff Garcia, I back him up that season. Going into my third year, we have Chris Sims coming back from an injury, Luke McCown on the roster. We just signed Brian Greasy, uh, myself. We just drafted Josh Johnson. And so we have like five or six QBs on a roster at this time. And I remember telling my agent, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting any reps. You know, this, I could tell this is over. I mean, I just, I said, just have them release me. At least I could go somewhere and compete and have a fresh start. Cause that's what I felt like it was. It was like, I felt like my time there, I felt like a failure. You know, I felt like, man, I lost this opportunity. Now I got six guys in front of me. Uh, man, I'm never going to get my chance again. And so when, when they did release me, man, my, my confidence was shot, you know, and I, but I was still there. My confidence was still there until I went, like I said, I went to the Rams. Scott Linehan sits me down. He's like, you give me all this fluff. You got it. You got it. But we're going to release you. And I'm like, I must not have it then. And then that season, you know how they bring guys in to work out every week. I went on a, a straight travel trip every Monday and Tuesday. I had to work out for the Texans, Kansas City, Denver, Seattle, um, Denver, back to Seattle, back to Houston. This is when Kyle Shanahan was the offense coordinator for the Texans. Right. And and I remember they'd make you run a 40, Bruce. And I've always been in shape and I'd take pride in that. So I'm joking with my buddy Tim Rattay, who's there for the workout too. And I'm like, hey, don't pull, don't pull a hammy. I'm running a 40. I pop my hamstring around the 40. And this is the first time it ever happened to me. So I didn't know what that was, but it popped. I heard a pop and I couldn't really walk, but we didn't even throw yet. So I get through the throwing session because I could drop back sideways. All of a sudden, Kyle Shanahan says, okay, now I want you to really bootleg out of here and show me how you can, you know, do a bootleg. Well, I couldn't even run. And I was like kind of half walking. He's like, okay, Bruce, now, now this time really run out of there. And I, I, could, I physically couldn't. My are hamstrings. You, are like, you not telling him that you blew your hamstring out? No, I'm Bruce. I'm trying to get a job. Like, I remember Rick Smith, the GM, came up to me. He's like, "You don't have to finish the workout." And I was like, "No, f this. This never happened to me. I'm going to finish this." And I actually threw pretty decent. But after the workout, they're like, "You sure you're okay?" I was like, "And I should have just been honest, because who knows? Some teams are different. They might have been like, look, 'Look, we'll just put you on IR. Or we'll do this or.'" But at the time, I was like, no, I'm good. I just kind of tripped up in the turf. And meanwhile, I'm out for the next five, six weeks. But that's when the Browns claim me, or I got signed by the Browns to finish my third season. So you're traveling around trying out. I guess you had enough money in the bank to do that. Was there ever a moment in time when you said, I got to start thinking about my future? I'm 25 years old. I'm going week to week from Seattle to Denver to Houston, blowing out my hamstrings. You know, right. I have all the confidence in the world, but if that doesn't matter, did you start thinking about your future when you were in your early 20s? 
Oh man, you know, not, not really, to be honest with you, it was kind of like, take it one step at a time. And it was to get the hamstring healthy. And at that moment, I moved back with my parents. I still own my condo. Um, but like you said, I, I probably had some money saved up. Now, as, as a young college kid, it's a lot of money. You know, if you have a hundred grand at the bank account, you're like, oh, I'm rich. Yeah, you are. But, you know, in, and I don't know exactly what I had, maybe 75 grand or so, who knows. But um, so I didn't worry at that moment. I just knew I had to get my hamstring healthy. You know, I did. But then it was, you know, when, when the Cleveland Browns released me is when um, my confidence was like, man, do I do I even want to play anymore? You know, you stayed in the league long enough to create a career from football. You now do radio broadcasting. You work for Pro Football Focus. If you had been out of the league after three years, those doors may not have been open for you. What, what What's Bruce Gradkowski doing right. if he's not working in the world of football? Man, you, you know, you're right, Bruce. And is, Mor- I mean, is Miranda staying with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the great thing about Miranda – is she had no clue about football when I met her. She was wondering why people were clapping in the stadium when we got a first down because we didn't score a touchdown. She's like, why is everyone clapping? Like, they only moved the ball a little bit down the field. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's what I love about her. But, you know, honestly, Bruce, like I've had a few business guys tell me, they're like, you know what? It's too bad you played football because, man, you you are – you'd be pretty good at at this stuff or, you know, I forget how he said it, you know, where I was almost like, I mean, it's not too late, but I, I enjoy a lot of things. And I I think right now, like my passion is just, you know, helping others, right. How I can, that's why I'm, I'm passionate about telling my story because I know all the adversity I faced and I knew kind of not at the time, but I just look at how I overcame those and it's not easy, but I also realized too, those tough times don't always last forever. It feels like it in the moment, but how do you just get past those times? And so, I mean, I don't know, like I've been fortunate. I started a few businesses, restaurants, um, and a, and a hospice company in Pittsburgh, pilgrimage hospice. So I enjoy business. I enjoy leadership. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my heart is football. You know, I know football. I love football. I love talking about it, but I do love people too and giving back and being a part of things to help them. Cause more than the X's and O's, I like to see young people develop uh, because I was very blessed to get some good opportunities and be surrounded by good people. You know, and of course you did bounce around, you went to Oakland, you had a little career Renaissance where you got to start some games there. We all know what happened when you went to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers. I think there's a caller every week to our radio show that reminds you of that one. (laughs) And it's, if, if you haven't seen it, look it up because it's one of the greatest moments in his career. But, you know, at 31, you're in Pittsburgh, which is, you know, kind of near where you grew up. It would be the last team that you play for. You know, when do you come to the realization that I'm at the end of the line? Is that are you still pursuing it and nobody's giving you a deal? Like, how do you know that's the end of the road? Yeah. And how hard was it to I, I walk th- away? It was, you know, it was tough. And I think the way I'm wired, Bruce, is – I needed my career to end how it did in a sense, right? Because I don't know if I would have ever been able to tell myself, tell myself that the end is here. And I knew the end was here when in 2016, I went back to training camp with the Steelers. And the year before I missed all 2015, because I had, I partially tore my rotator cuff in my right shoulder. 
and I tore my labrum in my right shoulder. So they fixed my labrum and I actually had surgery in my left hand as well, but it was more of the labrum they fixed. And then uh, they didn't fix the rotator cuff because they didn't want to, you know, tie it down too tight and me not be able to throw again. How many surgeries have you had, by the way? How many surgeries? Do you know? So I had like my left pec, a surgery, left, I tore my left pec off the bone, left labrum, uh, left ring finger here, right hand here, two surgeries, uh, surgery on my right labrum. Um, so yeah, I've had a few. You're getting close to double digits. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, but I interrupted because you said, you know, it's 2016, you're back in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm coming off, you know, missing all 2015 with a shoulder injury. And when I, when the Steelers re-signed me, um, that training camp, I remember being at training camp. It was a beautiful sunny day. And I remember like, man, I, I can't do this. Like, oh my God, how do I get out of this? Like almost like I, I can't make this throw like I used to like, and you know, we kind of laughed about it on film. Like, oh, Bruce has to pro hop into every throw or, you know, deep ball. My shoulder, you know, it was just frustrating because I knew my abilities and what I was able to do. And then at that moment, and it wasn't necessarily the arm strength. It was more, I felt a pinch in my shoulder every time I threw. So, you know, I ended up getting released after that, uh, that training camp. And I, I kind of knew, I'm like, you know, I kind of worked out a little bit, Bruce, to stay in shape in case someone called. But at the end of the day, my agent knew my shoulder was pretty beat up. All right, so, so you go home and tell Miranda, you're now married to your wife. You have three children, I know that. Um, yeah. You go home and you tell your wife that that's it. What are you thinking? What, what Are you thinking, what the hell am I doing next at this point? You know, yeah. I mean, a little bit. But I was also very thankful for what I had and the career I had. You know, and I was also excited for what's next. You know, I mean... We just started having kids. Lily and Roman were born. Lincoln came, you know, the year after I was retired. And, you know, so I was really excited for the family time. Did you have, you know, did I was you have just, some money in the bank? Were you secure at the time? Yeah, like I felt good, you know, and I, I you know, started restaurants. So I kind of blew some money on that stuff. And, but I, yeah, I felt okay, right? For how we were living and stuff. I'm like, you know, I'm good till I figure out what's next. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's so funny, Bruce. It's, it's kind of, Scary in a sense. So I get the call. I didn't travel to the Steelers last preseason game because I was out with a hamstring injury. Even though my shoulder was messed up, I uh, popped my my hamstring in, a, in the first preseason game. So it's last preseason game. I don't travel because I'm told, you know, stay back, get healthy for the regular season. So I'm on my back deck and I get a call from Kevin Colbert. He's like, hey, man, we just claim, I don't know, some some QB, forget his name. Uh, and we're, we're going to put you on waiver or we're going to uh, injury settle or put you on IR to release you. Uh, and I'll be talking to your agent and I'll talk to you. And I was like, all right, cool. And I kind of look, I was a veteran. I kind of knew like I wasn't healthy and I was unsure how this was going to play out. Cause I also felt, I didn't know how soon I would be able to get back. So I kind of was like scared if they kept me on the roster. I don't know. My hamstring was pretty jacked up. It was 22 centimeter tear. And, um, Anyways, I walk inside to tell Miranda that about that. She's cooking dinner, and Roman is probably six months old at the time. He's on the floor sitting there, and I see him put some in his mouth and swallow, and he kind of chokes a little and then swallows. I was like, Miranda, did he just swallow some money? And he swallowed a penny. 
So then we go, yeah, we go to like the emergency room. They take an x-ray of his belly and you see the penny inside. And then like three days later, he poops it out. We we saved that penny. But so that was, that was on my last day as an NFL player. I get released. Uh, we get to go because my son choked on a penny and we get an x-ray of it in his uh, in his belly. So it was quite a night. And where is that penny today? Do I want to know? It's hanging on our bathroom mirror. It's taped to it. Yeah, of course. It's clean after the poop, but it's it's there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you shared the detail that it's cleaned after the poop. Yeah, you didn't yeah. put it up right out of the excretion of it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I got to let you go in a minute, but you know, your kids have now grown up a little. Do they have any understanding of what you did, and do they care? Huh. I don't know if they, they know football is my life. I mean, they know I've played. I don't, I think because Lily's seven, she'll be eight. Roman's five and Lincoln's three. Right. So they know. Three is young, but by the time you're seven, you're old enough to know that there are guys on television throwing a football around and that's what they do for a living. So Lily understands that. Roman kind of still asks questions because his favorite team's the Blue Raiders right now, Bruce. So. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to know who that is. Well, it's it's the Las Vegas Raiders, but it's oh. the he calls them the Blue Raiders. Oh, the Blue. I have no okay. I have no idea why, but so they kind of they know because I'm on the air with you talking football. I'm great in all the throws for Pro Football Focus, so they know everything I do is surrounded football wise. They see the helmets, and so they know I've played, but I don't think they understand you know, the extent of what the NFL is and so forth. So how old do they have to be before you show them tape of that Steelers Raiders game uh, with the great Bruce Gradkowski performance? (laughs) I think I already tried, but it didn't go over well and it lost their attention. (laughs) (laughs) Just clinging to those those old heroic moments, right? Absolutely. Just, uh, you know, that, thanks for the reminder. I'll pull that out for bedtime. What, what was, uh, when it's all over, you know, I, I always think, we, we think of athletes as kind of living on an island, but, you know, mom and dad, how were they, you know, after the fact and, and dealing with the disappointment that their son had to live through? Well, I think they just loved the ride. You know, they were a part of it all, traveling to games, you know, just doing what they can to just be there to support myself and my brother. Uh, my sisters always joke around that, you know, there's four of us, myself, I'm the oldest two, two sisters and then my brother. And my sisters joke that no one knows my mom has daughters because all <laughs> she talks about is her sons. But, you know, we, we had an unbelievable ride. I mean, seriously, to think back when I was that fourth grader writing down on an index card what I wanted to be when I grew up and to think what it turned into to have 11 years in the NFL, all the relationships the friends, the family, the coaches, the teammates. It's really been unbelievable. I mean, I thank God every day because it's been, you know, anything I could dream of and everything. And with the family support and the teammates, coaches I've been in contact with. And now, of course, I have to deal with you every Thursday. So maybe take the week off. Uh, But but real quick, how big was your dad? My dad was 6'3". He's like 6'3", 300. He lost some weight. He's about 260 now. And your brother's a big your guy. Brother's 6'3". So if you had gotten two more inches, you may have been a fourth-round draft choice. <laughs> I could have. Andy Reid might have taken me. You know, who knows? Did you think your brother would play pro football? I, no, I wasn't sure. He went to West Virginia out of high school and then transferred to Delaware. Right. Um, 
But, you know, it's cool hearing from him because he always says, he's like, well, he tells me, he's like, I saw you do it. So to me, it made it reality that, wow, like my brother did it. Like it's, it's, I'm going to his games. I'm watching him at Toledo. I watch him get drafted. I'm at the draft. I'm in a young kid in grade school watching all this happen. And, you know, so it was cool that that's what he says. Like, since I went through it, he saw it as reality and uh, he worked his way to, to give himself that opportunity. But he was a lot younger than you, right? Six or seven years younger than you? Six years, yeah. And were you close when you were young? And are you close now? Yeah, we're close now. I mean, we were close when we were young. But, you know, I was six years is yeah. a big gap, you know. But he would always be on my football team. My dad would make him put the pads on because my dad was the coach. <laughs> and uh, But we we had fun. And, yeah, so we're we're really close now, of course, everything we've been through. And then Gino. He gets drafted in the fourth round of the Ravens, wins his Super Bowl, a Super Bowl his first year. Yeah, that, that's not going to be easy to be at Thanksgiving for the rest of your life when you're going <laughs> yeah. to that Super Bowl ring, right? No, absolutely. Uh, listen, it, it's still, I always say, you know, there are people that will look, and I'm sure you know this, like, oh, he wasn't great. If you play in the National Football League for nine years, you were better than 99.9% .9 of the players that ever, people that ever walked this planet. And players that walk this planet. Ele well, 11 I, years. I'm, talking about, I'm, I'm counting the ones I got hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you count the ones when you never saw a football field and sat on the sidelines injured. 11 years. They, they, can't, they count towards the pension, Bruce. Uh, that's, all that, that's all that matters to you, right? It is, it is remarkable. And I will say, I do enjoy spending uh, four hours with you every Thursday. Is it four hours or three hours? We spend three hours. Three now, yeah. I have family members that like our conversations, uh, so I hope we continue them for a while. But I'm glad you could join me today. That was a lot of fun. No, absolutely, brother. I, I've appreciated our relationship since I retired and being able to work with you every week. And, uh, I'm, hey, I'm thankful you asked me to be on your podcast. All right, last thing, because we have to say goodbye. Over under six and a half people listening to this. You're going, <laughs> you're going over or I'm under? Going I'm going over because at least my mom and dad and sisters might listen. So I have to go over. <laughs> you got a big family. I'll just send it out to mine. Thanks, Bruce. Hey, thanks, brother. So there you go. One of the great success stories. I mean, who doesn't like that underdog story that succeeds? A sixth-round draft choice making it and making a career in the National Football League. That was exactly what it was for Bruce Gradkowski. And I think we can say the same thing for the guy who's going to join me next week because he was a teammate of Bruce Gradkowski's at Toledo and went on to have a good NFL career despite not being highly sought after. That's Lance Moore, who played with Bruce at Toledo but became a Super Bowl champion playing with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. He'll be with me next Thursday. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on the SiriusXM app, which, of course, is free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. Going Long is part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohn. I hope you'll join me next week. I'm Bruce Brown. Sirius XM Podcasts.